Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. I'm Ian Stasikevich, and in this episode of the American Cinematographer Podcast, Mitchell and DeMarco discuss how Rabbit Hole is a departure from their previous films and also how it's the same. I just thought it was a beautifully written script. It was an incredible experience just reading it, perfectly proportioned and real and uh, not obscure, subtle, didn't talk down to the audience. I hadn't read the play, but I thought the screenplay was excellent. I could see things that I would do to pare it down, and I could see how I would direct it, which is really with an invisible hand, as, as invisible as possible. It just really struck me very powerfully. That's director John Cameron Mitchell talking about what drew him to the screen adaptation of David Lindsay Abair's stage play Rabbit Hole. In the film, Aaron Eckhart and Nicole Kidman play a middle-class, middle-aged couple trying to cope with the sudden loss of their four-year-old child. This is the third feature collaboration between Mitchell and cinematographer Frank DeMarco, who also worked together on the film Short Bus in 2006 and Hedvig and the Angry Inch in 2001. John, do you look for convergent themes in the projects that you choose? There's no grand plan. It's just whatever feels good and feels right and feels necessary. I don't like to do things uh, unless they feel really, really necessary emotionally. I'm very good at saying no, uh, and I have a cheap enough apartment to say no. Right, Frank? See, I live expensive, so I I don't have that luxury. He's got family and mortgage, but you also own your place. (laughs) I'm renting. How do you go about translating a stage work for the screen? We didn't really think about it as a play when, when, you know, Frank and I looked at it. We just looked at what the scene needed. You know, I always look at a script as a director the way I looked at a script when I was an actor. Is what does it need? To me, it is what, you know, it was so much what it was that I was just thinking of how I could help it. And that generally involved, you know, the performance being paramount. I mean, this is so much, everything rides on the performance here. I, mean, I guess any kind of director could have approached the script in a different way. You know, Brisson would have done a different thing with very, maybe perhaps wide angles and long takes, and Tarantino would have done another thing. And uh, to me, I just thought about the films that affected me. Uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, which this reminded me of things like Ordinary People and the films of Robert Benton and Alan Pakula, which were very quietly directed and uh, performance came first. So when we were shooting, we Frank and I used every trick we've learned working together to get the freshest performances, the most real reactions... Oftentimes that was aided by by the red camera, which we were kind of dragged into being film people. Uh, but in many ways, I was converted to it uh, because of uh, being able not having to cut. Um, 
there were other things that slowed us down a little bit with lighting, but it was it was wonderful to be able to keep rolling, do the scene over and over and over without cutting. Sometimes the momentum of the performances are really helped by that. I think the other thing too, just John had experience converting a play to a movie with Hedwig. Hedwig, I've done another movie too, same thing that came from a play and. I think fortunately in this one, I think David Lindsay Abair had already pretty much broken it out from the flat, you know, two dimensions of a th- stage into like the three dimensions of movie. And it didn't, it didn't, it was, I it think was it's well better. along its way, you know. Yeah, I right? think the screenplay is better than the play, and I love the play. There's all kinds of events and characters that are hint, discussed or hinted at in the play that you see uh, in the film which I think make it richer, broader, you know, the, the, it's a bigger picture of a life. Most importantly, Sandra O's character, who's sort of the other woman, uh, who's just hinted at in the play, and she becomes an important part of the parallel structure where uh, Nicole Kidman and Aaron Eckhart's characters are, you know, pulling away from each other and towards other other characters. And there were a couple other, there was a scene or two too, right? I mean, in the play that David Lindsay had, written I think there's a bar scene early in the movie where Tammy Blanchard's character has a you know a, an altercation with a customer and that was customer and that was in the screenplay and John screenplay. took that out right yeah there was there was a uh, in his perhaps you know imperative to open it up so to speak he may have opened it up too much and you at the beginning you sort of mon- saw a montage of all the characters in their in their s- home or in their introductory settings and I had to kind of I asked him to close it back up again because it has to be about Nicole's character and Aaron's character first and foremost so it sort of led you down a few uh, red herring paths so I said you know let's just see it every all the characters in context with our two main characters you mentioned before that you were pushed towards using the red did you originally want to shoot on film? Yeah, we wanted to shoot with 35. It felt like a, a film movie. I mean, some some stories feel, you know, that a, a video or another non-cinematic... Cinema refers to film, doesn't it? Or celluloid, look, is uh, works. But in this case, it felt, you know, in the vein of something like Ordinary People, which has a kind of film feeling or did have a film feeling to us and Nicole agreed but the other producers uh, for budgetary reasons uh, suggested the the red and in fact insisted on it and there were other it was more important for us to have more shooting days than to shoot on 35 and it came down to that uh, is how we were it was presented to us and the red, you know, moves is moving very quickly to respond to to people's needs. Um, it's you know, it's a work in progress. It's yeah. sort of a what do you call it? A test. You know, it's not quite. It's a beta. You know, it's not quite yeah. there. And we're the guinea pigs. And since then, you know, the ASA has gone up, and I still I feel good about it. And you know, I, I'd seen we'd watched other films in the red, specifically. Uh, some Soderbergh. We looked at that. It was one a big disaster movie. Yeah, knowing. knowing yeah, we yeah. saw knowing. And yeah. we're like, wow, you know, this is they managed to find some grain. You know, which you often District lose. District Nine. Yeah. Right, and we were like, okay, 
I think we can make this work. And Frank had some solutions. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, the red is a little. It's great for a disaster movie like Knowing and District Nine, where it's very edgy and hard, and the things are blowing up. And, and you're working with a lot of CG. Yeah, but I think t- the, my biggest concern was just you know, Nicole's a beautiful gal, and you know she's over thirty now, and I just I felt like the red was kind of harsh when we did our tests, and I remember when we all we actually did a film out test of the red, and Nicole came to it, and after we showed the footage. The first thing Nicole turned around and said, "It's it's kind of harsh looking, isn't it?" And I and the makeup I, was easy yeah, to see. Yeah, it's a makeup. So it's a little so. My just my thing to do was I ended up using older lenses, older cinema lenses built by German men with their hands in the nineteen eighties. But specifically, what lenses? I used. I I ended up using Zeiss Series Three T two point one primes for the most part and and ingenue optimo 17 to 80 which is a good match i've done that in three movies now and that's a good match with those primes they're not super duper sharp they're nice and sharp and beautiful and they've won those zeiss primes have won many academy awards for vilmos and vittorio and all that but uh you know they've they're sort of fallen out of favor in lieu of all the new fancy you know computer design lenses but i think with the red which is kind of harsh and sharp these like warmer rounder lenses lent themselves. John and I talked about filters, if we would like use any kind of fuzzy filters, soft filters on Nicole, and it was decided, you know, that would be dishonest. I think people would feel that we're lying, that we're fuzzing her up, protecting her somehow, and it needed to be open and honest and and, and real, so filters were out. Uh, we A couple times in the movie I used old Mitchell filters which don't reveal themselves and they're old Hollywood filters from the 20s or 30s and they just soften things up a tiny little bit and we used them once or twice for big, big close-ups on Nicole and that's it. The rest of the time was very clean, open, honest shooting with the the older lenses and I thought it it worked very well. How does the digital format affect the way you make movies? We avoided uh, when possible uh dolly shots anything fancy anything that would take time away from the actor getting close to the moment uh sometimes when you do a a dolly shot um and we certainly had a a handful for key moments uh I, i kept telling frank you know it's like there's only so many takes that this actor has and we cannot they can't expend it too early. So some scenes, you know, we had a great dolly operator, so we, we they did work. But the, and, and Frank operated key moments just to, especially when we had multiple cameras. But I can think specifically of one shot that was really vital, and it was when Nicole broke down. And we did some digital zooms on shots later in post, but that one, you know, we wanted a dolly shot. And I don't know if you did zoom on that as well. but I sh- think you did a little post zoom, but it, was a, zoom, it was yeah. a dolly shot. But it was, we, it was a horrible day. It was raining. We were near LaGuardia. There were airplanes. I didn't want, you can't loop a crying scene successfully. She's in a car alone watching the kid uh, go to his prom. And uh, her whole life kind of crashes down on her. And we had, suddenly the, the skies cleared, the planes were gone. I, I said, as soon as this happens, Frank, you have to be ready to go. And Nicole was in the car. We were waiting, waiting. 
Frank's operating, you know, it's like we discuss, we didn't really rehearse. We never did a camera rehearsal without shooting it, which Frank hated me for, but I promised him no, I'd never... it was good. I, I liked it. I know, but it. there were times where like, please don't use it if it looks terrible, and yeah. we didn't. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah, he, yeah. Frank is incredibly fast, and I'm not going to compromise, you know, anybody if I can, but we shot every rehearsal, and in this case, we had three minutes of clarity and she did an incredible job we were all both frank and i were very were welling up you know behind camera and i it let i let it go and she recovered and i said cut and the heavens opened and i got in the car with her and we just kind of held hands as everybody worked to try to get another take but we never got another take so so much of it is just being ready for them uh, like a documentary, you know, and they're pros, so it's no, there's no wasting of time. They appreciate moving quickly. Actors hate nothing more than sitting around for 10 hours and then having to do a line where they have to cry. So we were moving like the wind, and when we did, the, for example, the big scene where they explode at each other, Aaron and Nicole, uh, it was really like shooting an explosion, and we were going to do two cameras that that actually limited the actors because we didn't want them to think about blocking too much. Uh, so Frank was operating handheld. He lit the living room. We pretty much gave them kind of three rooms to move in. Um, and Frank lit for the whole scene and we weren't going to stop and relight for anything. It was just shooting two way, both ways in different sizes. We changed a couple of lenses. Um, but it was just a day of trauma. You know, the actors were out of control. <laughs> you know, they we're Frank's trying to grab them for some. We forgot that we had a mirror in the room until <laughs> we were shooting. He was like trying to stay out of the mirror. It was total cast. You know, total Cassavetti's day. Um, and I eventually had to control Aaron and keep him in a certain part of the room. Otherwise, we couldn't have edited it. You know, because his backgrounds kept changing, but the, but it really, and the actors were like, "I'm running out of steam," and we had to make sure we had to get both sides, and it was very stressful. But we got some of the best scenes I've ever done, ever. You know, it's like Nicole. I remember giving her one more take and said, "You know what? You're, you've got to let it go now because her character is very contained. She didn't want to." overstate it and I said this is your chance it's not that you're letting go emotion uh, you know it's not that you're breaking down you're actually let the you're translating the grief into rage because he is not being reasonable here and she gave this take that was in the film and it's just incendiary you know where she you know blows up at him but somehow doesn't break down which is really the key because she can only break down in this one specific scene and that wasn't it and Frank how did shooting with the red affect your job as the cinematographer I decided you know I'm not going to worry about the ASA limitations of this the camera it was rated at 320 ASA I talked to Ed Lockman I talked to Steve Fear, Fearberg a number of other DPs had worked with it and they felt that might have been a little bit of an embellishment it was closer to 200 ASA so 
I rated it mostly at 200 ASA, which to me it was a big step backwards because we're trying to use minimal lighting, trying to allow the actors to go where they want. And I, if I have 500 ASA, I can do anything, anywhere. And working at 200 ASA was a bit of a hindrance because suddenly I felt I needed to add a light or two just to get the exposure where it needed to be for the camera. So it was a little bit of a hindrance. That's since been in theory, uh, changed with the newer red, but I just did a Kevin Spacey movie this summer and they said that it was 800 ASA and I rated it 800 and it wasn't 800 either. So whatever, it's, it's, it, it, it's getting there. I just, we're going to, if it's a little grainy or something, that's fine because John is a big 70s fan and likes a little bit of grain anyway. So if it has a little bit of video grain in there, it's fine. And the scene that you were talking about before between Aaron Eckhart and Nicole Kidman how did you photograph that scene? I had done a movie called Beer Fest where it was so it was a party, like a college beer drinking party, and I really couldn't put lights in there, and the director wanted to be able to shoot 360 degrees. Everybody was radio mic'd. So I worked with the production designer, and, and we put bigger light bulbs in the practical lights around the room. In this case, I talked to Kalina uh, Ivanov, our production designer, I talked to her art director and had a guy, I cheated an extra light or two lamp, practical lamp into the, the three rooms, put these stronger light bulbs in it and that's it. That's what we went with. So you really could shoot all the way around other than that one mirror area. If you turn too hard, too fast, you'd see a sound guy and a focus puller. Uh, but it allowed us to shoot in any direction. I love I love the look of that scene, too, because the actors aren't lit. They're sort of down a little bit. The walls are brighter than the actors are, but in a beautiful way. It's just like a, a way a, a normal room would be, you know, if people are sitting around or walking around. They're not lit like movie actors. They're lit the way... It's just natural lighting in that room, practical lighting. It just allowed the actors... There were no marks on the floor. John and I had talked about how can we keep the camera out of the way of the actors and the performance and the emotion and... This was, you know, this was how we we did it. And I had done this something similar in Beer Fest, and we just sort of fine tuned that for Rabbit Hole. We did a lot of that for Short Bus. That's true too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. In that case, we actually worked with the actors to create the script, and we rehearsed with them off and on for two and a half years. You know, and Frank was there often. It was in that case we the. Emotion was strong, but also the the sexual explicitness was that the actors had to be comfortable with a camera in the room, with Frank in the room. Frank was so comfortable that he would nod off during some of our longer longer rehearsals, which were dull at times. But but by the time we got to shooting, everybody was comfortable as they could be, you know, with uh, the artificial setting of of a shoot being emotionally and sexually, you know vulnerable and uh so we were very used to uh grabbing reality when we could in that case the script was set but i i told the actors that they had to paraphrase every take in, uh, in short bus because they were just better when they uh put things in their own words uh, though it was very set beat wise they still i said i'll fire fire you if you learn your lines in the in the case of of uh, rabbit hole the actors extremely virtuoso experience so though they did paraphrase at times i encouraged them to keep it loose if they needed to they hewed to the lines as written which were beautifully written uh some scenes we shot when we when we could with multiple cameras 
uh, which is something we've always done to uh, to capture the give and take. Uh, you know, I, actors hate to be off camera, acting off camera. They feel like sometimes they hold back when possible, and it especially worked in Rabbit Hole during sit down two person scenes. Right. The opposing cameras. We choose opposing, opposing cameras yeah. over each other's shoulders. You know, yeah, shooting. simultaneously opposing simultaneously, cameras, which is hard to do and. There's a couple times, you know, I was always, I always wanted to give John that whenever I could. We found a couple times where it was just, it was actually more problems shooting the opposing cameras than, than not. And, you know, we just sort of, it was just a technical thing and there's nothing to do about it. But the other eight times out of 10, we got in the park bench, in the kitchen, scenes like that, where we were able to have two cameras shooting against each other and yet still keeping the cameras out of the shot and be able to capture. I mean, it's very hard for, obviously, for a DP because you're lighting for two, you know, two halves of the room. Yeah, they're two different sets, essentially, at the same time, using the same lighting. And, it's and especially when you're working with faces and close-ups, you know, lighting is so key. And this is not, uh, you know, this isn't like full-on doco film. I mean, it's still, you know, it's a very realistically shot film, but it's, it's also, it's still a Hollywood film maybe from another era, you know, like a late 70s, early 80s Hollywood film, in that it's very audience-friendly. We're not doing Antichrist or, or uh, with the Red, and we're not doing even in the bedroom, which both deal with the same subject matter, but in a very in a darker, more, uh, you know, indie way. You know, this is, this is a Hollywood film that Hollywood doesn't make anymore because, you know, of economics they make... Uh, $100 million movies now and they cede the smaller family dramas to independence. Do you think that you would have done anything differently uh, if you'd been given the opportunity to shoot Rabbit Hole on film? I don't think we would have done it any differently. I mean, 16, we used 16 for short bus, which at the time, you know, we considered digital, but there was a kind of financial, or budgetary wash between 16 and video at that time and we just like film better and uh, with 16 you can have a, a longer lasting mag 800, 800 foot mags would last 20 minutes. 22 minutes I mean that's great which really helps for improv also when the scenes were sexual you know you, you need to you know roll for a while Certainly an orgasm could take a while. I remember running out in 22 minutes. Um, and it's the same with extremely emotional scenes. You sometimes want to go back to one, roll the scene three times in a row. But 35 is harder to do that. You can't necessarily get 22-minute mags you unless you've got a gigantic... With, with three perf and 1,000-foot mags, you get 15 minutes, 16 right. minutes, which is not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. And we certainly... I think we would have preferred to do it on film... I actually shot the last scene in Rabbit Hole on film, which is the kind of fast, or the future... The future perfect, I call it. Future backed. Yeah, Yeah, the future perfect, because it was a possible reality that they're considering, this cookout in the future, and I wanted it to have a slightly different feeling. We did it on Steadicam, too, because we didn't do much of that. Yeah, Steadicam on 35, the newest 35 at the time, and because I wanted this new feeling you know this what could the future be it could be film (laughs) that's obviously a lie 
Um, but it, it, you know, had a certain grain that didn't was not. Uh, you know, the producers were very hesitant about mixing up uh, formats, but we knew that it would be subtle. You're going from inside to outside, from the red to 35, and it's pretty seamless. We didn't really do anything to the grain in, in the DI either. And the producers were like, well, you're going to have to pay for it yourself, We paid John. for it ourselves. I have a camera. I volunteered that. John bought the 35-millimeter film, and Frank got Hubble from Kodak helped us out with yeah, some good deal on film. Us. Technicolor helped us with the they developing all, and post. All our old friends helped us out with the... Uh, the footage and, and the development. Yeah, that's great. But I, th- I think both John and I approached, we didn't think, oh, we're shooting red, so we have to shoot it differently than we'd shoot a, a f- if we had we shot on 35. We, you know, my my conceit was, well, if, if red is competing with 35, I'm going to shoot it like 35 and let's see what happens. And I think it's, I don't, I think we did very well, you know. I'm yeah, happy a lot of with people don't think it. about the format, which is exactly what we wanted, you know. Even Harris was like, oh, I didn't know you shot it on the red, you know. Harris Savides, who I talked to last night, loved it. Um, and that's that's the goal is really not to be thinking about what it's shot on and not thinking about who's directing it. In my... In my uh, and I, not thinking about who shot. I mean, uh, to me, yeah. like, the whole goal was to be as... Invisible. Invisible, so that it was just the, the actors, just the director, just the story, just the emotion... And I think you have a good way of putting it. You created a, an environment for the actors to work, and you had a good expression for that. You created yeah, it was a, just a safe place, you know, a safe place where yeah. they didn't have to think about focus or cameras. You know, as little as possible. Sound. You know, there's all kinds of tricks. Just like you know, we said shooting rehearsals, shooting multiple cameras, miking everybody in sight so you can use that stuff later. Uh, you know, Frank's very good with actors, letting them... He can have his own little dialogue with them as I'm doing other things because we know how to work and we don't step on each other's toes. And Frank might gently suggest, you know, that Nicole work a certain light because we're losing her face. But in a way that's, uh, you know, if this doesn't interfere with what you're doing, you might want to be just be aware of that light... Um, not super technically, but just in you know that's that's the key. Or it was not. I mean, I was a little you know concerned in the beginning because Nicole, you know, virtuoso actor and all that. And I, how do you approach an actor and, and discuss things like can I can I touch you during a take? Just if you're overlapping a camera and we're doing these two opposing cameras, so this one camera's getting great stuff, the other camera's got the actor standing in front of it. Can I? Is it okay to touch you in movie? And then, and it's a it's a hard you know it's a a little concerned how do I approach an actor about that, but I found that she was very open. Aaron, all of them were very open. They want us to get the shots too, and they want the other person they're playing with, they're playing against, across from, to have a great take. So it was, they were all very nice. And, and in this case, the DI really, uh, really helped. Um, so we didn't have to worry. You know, there were certain times when we're moving this quickly that certain parts of the frame are very bright or dark. Yeah, let's talk about the work that you did in your digital intermediate. I think what what the DI enabled me to do and feel confident about doing was I didn't have to overlight. I did I knew that some things if some an area is hot in the frame, I knew or the light is hot blazing behind Nicole or Aaron, 
I knew and I could reassure John because they're only seeing what's on the video monitor. They're like, wow, that light looks really hot. Is that going to be okay? It's like, yes. We can grab the, you know, the white levels in the DI and take that down. It'll look beautiful having done it in short bus and a beer fest. And I felt this is the way to give John and the actors what they need. I'll suffer on this end and they're going to have to trust me on this. But when we get to the DI, I can show them how it'll look very nice and appropriate. And that's what we did in the DI is a great tool these days you know it really it it's i, I it's like the other 10% of my lighting is done in the di now which i just this movie we did in the summer uh, same thing and we had some focus problems uh, in in any movie you have some focus problems and the amazing thing in the di is you can do like a little sharpen just on the eyes and suddenly it looks apparently sharp and we were able to you know fix a few things that were a little you know concern, there was some concern it was it's a wonderful tool we live in the future it's yeah, great when you're moving quickly the di is a kind of a safety net for certain things obviously you have to have enough light but it was a little frustrating at that you know in the color correction or all the way to a release print because you do a you know you do a lot of work in the di nowadays and then you have to do it all seemingly over again for the uh for the video master, I mean, there's a lot of work has been done, but there's it's not an you know a direct button that just takes it straight to the video master. You could we did probably another we probably did two weeks in the DI and then another week on the video master, uh, which is where most people really see it. So it was kind of exhausting. Then getting it to and we had done the corrections for Kodak. Suddenly a distributor came in and they released on Fuji. So we sort of did all these corrections for Kodak and then had to redo them for Fuji. <laughs> and it's like, I've never corrected so many things There's in my life because yeah. of the f flexibility we have and obviously the projection system still being film, print. Uh, it's, it's a lot more work, you know, than Hedvig, our first film, where, which was uh, just... Um, optical yeah that was just an optical all photochemical all the way through Hedvig came out in 2001 uh, and so which means the two of you have been working together for about 10 years how has your director cinematographer relationship developed in that time well Frank and I have a great partnership you know I feel very comfortable with him and want to always offer him the job first if, if he's available We've done three features, two videos, music videos, uh, one for Scissor Sisters and one for Bright Eyes, and now, and we just did a Dior film, which really was just like a short film starring Marion Cotillard and Ian McKellen that just came out online uh, on LadyDior.com, and we're going to be doing more together uh, for Dior. It, really a lot of fun because we get to write them and direct them, and in that case, shoot on 35. <laughs> Um, in you know in London was it was a blast to work with uh, with film again with uh, again amazing actors again moving very quickly we just had yeah, two yeah. days there two we're, days. we're doing a whole narrative uh, a lot we, of these fashion films we did are, cheat though. I got him I convinced the producer who was a little wary of it I said you know check out camera check out usually a whole day but they really only use half the day so once we get the cameras checked out can we run out and shoot the exteriors of our short film on that checkout day and, and they 
they juggled a few numbers and said, yeah, that's a good idea. Then we can save a whole company move. And we, the, each day we were in one location, this play with Brixton Hall one day and uh, the Rivoli Ballroom another day. And we didn't have to go all the way across London, which is a 24-hour traffic jam to get to the London Eye to shoot the exterior. So we we always thinking a little yeah, I think John Scottish efficiency in mind too. Yeah, keep it in budget and you have more fun at the end. Um, so we have a great shorthand. It's very easy. We live nearby. We can discuss stuff really easily in prep. Um, we need, we love a fun set, a concentrated but fun set. So levity is important. Uh, this, you know, in this film, which is uh, super emotional, there's these key humorous humorous scenes that were very important are very important for the audience and very important for us. Uh, I was just writing about one where uh, Aaron Eckhart's character is uh, stoned in a group therapy meeting while one of the uh, group members is sort of bloviating about rage and it's rage day at the group meeting and he uh, Rob Campbell was in, was in uh, Hedvig so we had a good time with him you know encouraging him to improvise and get real reactions out of Aaron Eckhart and Sandra O oh with multiple cameras you know tr- really trying to crack them up I, I love the off you know especially off camera actors to sort of throw curveballs so that the uh, on camera actors are really surprised even after doing the scene multiple times and Rob didn't didn't disappoint with his uh, gastrointestinal symptoms of grief and the fact that rage gave him an erection and why aren't we talking about this you know let's be honest and it was really <laughs> you, it was fun and when we were shooting a lot of cameras you know crew members trying to control their laughter and stay out of the mic and Frank there was a few times Frank was uh, operating handheld and he had to kind of keep it steady <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was tough to keep us straight to not burst out. I had a tough day that Aaron day. Aaron is just very f- funny too. He's he's just he needs the release, you know, from the intense scenes with uh, with jokes, and we had a great time with him. I think part of the thing collaborating with John too, though, John comes with a lot of specific things, he'll, which is great. You have something to work with, and he, I remember when we were doing Hedvig, he wanted he really liked the idea of Buffalo '66 and that whole look, which was a very sort of rigorous look a vigorous film processing thing and and in my heart i thought i don't know if that's the right way to go with this thing but we need to just explore it and go through and we shot a lot of tests and we i gave john a nice just smorgasbord of different film looks and and he ultimately realized no buffalo 66 is only this discussion point and from there we found through experimentation really the looks, look and looks that he wanted for Hedvig. And I think we didn't really play around much with Rabbit Hole. It was pretty straightforward as far as that. But we, I remember we did have some ideas for some lens ideas we thought we'd use in like, I think shot number two on day one. We put up a certain lens that both of us were convinced this is the right lens to shoot this movie on. We both looked at each other and said, that's not the right lens. Find the other, find some lens. And we... Yeah, we you can know, move sort pretty of, quickly. Yeah. For some reason, one shot in the film, which does not seem very daring to me, uh, was extremely controversial with the producers and even the production designer. It's a, you know, it's a kind of POV of uh, a goodwill box, kind of just shooting through from inside 
through the uh, opening of the box at Nicole's face. She's just deposited her son's clothes, and you don't quite know where she is. Is it, you know, a dumpster? You're not sure. And she's kind of letterbox, kind of looking into the abyss, you know, into the hole. And, you know, it's like a box within a box of the film frame. And the producers were very disturbed. It was self-conscious, and it was like, Artie, and where's the camera, and whose POV is it? And it's like, well, where's whose POV is it at any point? You know, it's a film. <laughs> you know, you do hopefully forget about that. And uh, it was something, you know, was a simple sh- but effective shot to us. For some reason, we had to defend to the end uh, with flexible other shots. Now it's sort of the pivoting moment in the movie trailer. Now it's in the trailer. The trailer. It's the big pivotal <laughs> know, moment nobody in the shot. Told, nobody told us we were right either. Uh, but it was. Uh, I think it's also a pivotal moment in the movie too. Well, you have to way, be able right? to see. You have to be able to see her face fully, and there's no other realistic angle. Profile wouldn't have done it uh, from outside the box. So it's like, how do you? You know, our biggest job was how do you get in there on their faces to see fully what's going on without shattering reality. Right. Well, we could have backed Nicole up and put the camera in front of the mailbox lid, the, the, the drop box lid, and shot that. But I think, I just think it was, if it was a self-conscious cinema shot or whatever, just the sort of guillotine opening and closing of that box was, it was it's one of those rare, wonderful moments where a physical action, a, a physical composition, a physical movement and her position, like actually are, 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 everything is pointing to what's in her head and her heart. It's like, it's a wonderful cinema moment. It's a rare chance where all those little it's technicalities really, add up nicely. And it's not, there's nothing, you know, uh, groundbreaking about it, but it just seemed right for the moment, and everything we do tries to serve the moment rather than tries to show off. You know, it's like, a, a, in, in some ways I wanted this to be, on the surface, the least directed movie of the year. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot of work to to be invisible um, but you know with with the cinematography the direction uh, and even the writing in some ways we want to be as unobtrusive as possible which is not always uh, laud- lauded or encouraged in this age of the internet where everything is super uh, directed and super acted you know sometimes I f- feel like acting awards they really are honoring the most acted yeah the most acting of the year awards <laughs> when I prefer a subtler touch you know all around this has been the American Cinematographer Podcast thanks for listening you can find more podcasts blogs and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com this podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.